Hey, I'm Charles. It's great to have you with us. Uh, let me just echo everything that those uh, women said before. It's just wonderful for us to be able to honour um, and uh, celebrate and just kind of remember the challenges of motherhood as well. Uh, we're going to get stuck into that passage in a moment. Uh, before we do, let me pray. Uh, lead us in prayer. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for our mothers. And we pray now as we come to your word that you would speak to us by your spirit. Uh, give us faith to see the glory, the wonder of your son, Jesus. Uh, show us him. Uh, and we pray that as we hear your word, that we would throw ourselves upon uh, him uh, because he is our only hope. Uh, we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking you this question. What does it mean to say, I believe in Jesus? Uh, imagine, uh, you know, has somebody ever asked you that question? Um, you know, maybe you've asked somebody uh, that question. Um, what did you say if somebody asked you that question? Uh, what would you say? Would you say, yes, I do? Uh, and if so, what exactly would you mean uh, when you say that? Uh, maybe something's coming to mind for you. Uh, I ask the question because saying that you believe in Jesus could actually mean a number of different things. Uh, and so one possibility is that it's really just another way of saying that you believe that he existed, that he was real man, that he walked this earth. Uh, and this is often what we mean when we say that we believe in something. And so if I asked you whether you believe in UFOs or ghosts or climate change, or true love, uh, magic, uh, what I'm really asking you is whether they exist. And maybe you'd say yes to some, no to others. Uh, but is that what we mean when we say that we believe in Jesus? Are we saying that uh, we just believe in his existence? Uh, now, maybe you'd say, well, that's a good start, but that's a pretty low bar for belief. Uh, but for a lot of Aussies, uh, that's one of their big questions. Um, NCLS data says that um, only 49% of Aussies would give a confident yes to Jesus actually ever existing. Uh, another quarter would say, I don't know. Last quarter would say, no, he didn't. He doesn't exist. Now, if you're part of that 51% uh, who wouldn't necessarily give a confident yes, um, it's great to have you with us. Um, but if that's you, can I just share something briefly from the historian John Dixon? He kind of makes a bit of an argument from authority, uh, and this is what he says. He says, the claim that Jesus of Nazareth did not even exist has virtually no currency in contemporary scholarship. Uh, all the standard secular compendiums of ancient history judge the core of the story that a popular Galilean teacher and reputed healer named Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem by order of Pontius Pilate. Uh, they judge that to be beyond reasonable doubt. And then to back this up, uh, JD, he posted a tweet back in 2011. He said, uh, I'll lead a page of my Bible if skeptics can find one professor of ancient history and New Testament in a real university who thinks that Jesus didn't live. Um, Twelve years later, his Bible is still safe and it is uneaten. So is that what we mean uh, when we say, I believe in Jesus, that he existed? Um, here's another possible meaning. Maybe what we're really saying is that we believe Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, that is the Son of God, the Lord of all, the creator, the sustainer, the ruler of all things. Um, and you could probably see how this is, a, this is a step up from believing in just his existence. Uh, it's a bigger claim. Uh, is that what we mean when we say that we believe 
in Jesus? Uh, are we saying that, yeah, he, he is who he says he is? Uh, today, I want to take us to the Bible, uh, and we're going to see how the Bible answers that question of what it means to believe in Jesus. Uh, it's really a question around faith, uh, the nature of faith. Uh, and we're going to look at that story we just read from Luke chapter 8. And what we're going to see is that uh, biblical faith is more than just believing in his existence, but it's also more than just the belief that he is who he says he is. Um, you can, what we're going to see, you can believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, Son of God, Lord of all, and still lack real biblical faith. Uh, I reckon there's three key lessons for us about faith in this passage, three parts to faith. Uh, I'll give them to you here, and then we're going to unpack them as we work through the passage. Uh, first, uh, faith means um, recognizing who Jesus is, recognizing who he is, and then responding in reliance upon him, uh, and third, receiving his gift of salvation. Uh, recognizing who he is, responding in reliance, and then receiving the gift of salvation. Uh, my prayer for us is that God would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus, that we would throw ourselves upon him, that we'd receive his gift of salvation. Uh, so we're going to jump in. We're going to think about recognizing who Jesus is. Uh, we'll pick it up from verse 22. One day... Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So Jesus, his disciples, they get into a boat and they cross uh, the lake. But notice that it's not just a lake. Uh, Luke calls it the lake. Uh, we actually know which lake this was. Uh, back in chapter 5, Luke tells us that it's the lake of Gennesaret, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is what Matthew Mark call it. Uh, the lake itself, um, here's a bit of a map, a lake there in the middle, about 11 by 15 kilometers, big inland lake. Um, and it's significant that Jesus crosses this lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, up to this point, Jesus... Uh, hasn't left the area of Galilee. Um, he's been in Galilee. That's kind of to the north. That's to the west there. Uh, that's the region where Jesus grew up. And so far, Jesus hasn't left that area. But in our passage today, Jesus is going to leave Galilee. And he's going to cross over to the other side of the lake. But as they're crossing across, um, we're told verse 23... Um, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Uh, if you're wondering what a squall is, uh, I googled it on behalf of all of us. Um, apparently, it's a technical term for a localised storm, uh, which actually kind of makes sense of the geography around the lake. Um, the lake itself is actually 250 metres below sea level, uh, but sitting just to the north is a really steep mountain range that hits 3,000 metres, uh, which is, for reference, 1,000 metres higher than anything in Australia, uh, or just about. And so within this very short distance, uh, you've got this super low point and then this super high point. Uh, and what would happen is this cold air from the mountains would come down and meet the warm air coming off the lake. And you'll know that when uh, cold and warm air mix, what they do is they cause a storm. 
Uh, sea of Galilee, it's very well known for actually having these sudden, these violent storms. Uh, one second it looks fine, next second it's crazy. And as it happens, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they get caught in one of these storms. Uh, he tells us that the boat was being swamped. Uh, the word there is literally the word to be filled up. Uh, the boat was being filled. We're told they're in great danger. Uh, I've never been on a boat when it's been in a storm because I tend to not go on boats. But I can imagine uh, it was scary. I get very sick. Um, <clears throat> And remember, these guys, they're professional fishermen. They spend a lot of time on boats. They know their way around a boat. And here they are a few minutes away from being drowned. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been caught in a storm. Uh, I remember one time we were camping with friends. Um, Friends are actually here visiting today, which is great. Uh, And we were camping. This huge storm just ripped through. Uh, I remember our tent. Um, One side just turned concave. And we're inside. I'm trying to hold the tent up. The girls, all of them, all three, they're all crying. Um, uh, Our friend's tent, uh, one of the poles just snapped. uh, And they're getting wet. Uh, And I remember having to go out of the tent to tie everything down. Um, I was just like soaked in a split second. Like the rain was like going up. It was crazy. I feel like I'm really selling the camping experience here. This is good fun. Um, I remember feeling exposed and just helpless, like I could do nothing. Um, I don't know if you've ever been caught in a storm, but I take it that um, the storm here in this story um, also functions as a kind of metaphor for the storms of life uh, that we might experience in any number of ways. Uh, If you go to the Psalms, it's kind of the songbook of the Bible. What you see time and time again is the psalmists use the imagery of a storm to describe the chaos, uh, the danger, the terror that we experience in everyday life. And so let me ask you, uh, what is it that makes you feel vulnerable, um, exposed? What makes you feel helpless and small, like a tiny boat just being tossed back and forth? Uh, Where is the chaos Uh, Something might come straight to mind for you. Or it could be that the skies look clear for you right now, just like it did for the disciples when they first stepped onto that boat. Uh, But maybe the cold air is coming down from the mountains and a storm is just around the corner. What do you do? Uh, Well, let's see what the disciples did. Uh, Verse 24. The disciples went and woke him, Jesus, saying, Master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked each other, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Uh, The disciples, they do what? probably you or I would do. They run to Jesus. He's been asleep this whole time. And they shake him. They wake him. And they cry, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Um, Notice that they don't actually um, ask Jesus to do anything. It's not a request. It's simply a statement. We are going to drown. Uh, But behind that, they're clearly turning to him in desperation. Uh, What does Jesus do? Uh, Well, we read uh, that he gets up, he rebukes the storm, and everything was calm. But then he turns to his disciples and he asks, where is your faith? Uh, 
Uh, and by asking them that question, what he's doing is highlighting their lack of faith. Uh, as in, where is your faith? Because it ain't here. Which means the things that they've said and done um, have actually been driven by a lack of faith. And so just have a think with me for a moment. What do you think the problem was with their faith? What do you think it was uh, that made Jesus ask, where is your faith? Uh, Here's what I reckon. I reckon the problem with their faith is that they either didn't know or they had forgotten who was with them. They forgot who was with them in the storm. I say that for two reasons. Uh, First is because of what they say in response. They respond by saying, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. And notice they only say this after seeing the miracle, which I take it means, uh, which I take it, it means that while they were still in the middle of the storm, they either didn't know that or they had forgotten it, uh, that he's the one who commands the wind and the waves. I think there's a second clue as well. Uh, it's the word master. They say master, master. Um, It's not immediately obvious, but this word master is uh, quite unusual in the New Testament. Um, If you do a little word search on the word master, it's only used six times in the New Testament. All of them are in Luke's gospel. And if you go and you look at each of those uh, kind of times that it pops up, what you'll notice is that people only ever call Jesus master from a place of unbelief foolishness and a lack of understanding. By contrast, when somebody does understand who Jesus is and they do believe, they almost always call Jesus Lord, not Master. Um, If you want to chase that up later, start a Luke 5. You'll see that there. Uh, What's the point? The disciples have forgotten who was with them in the storm. They had forgotten that Jesus is not just a master. He's the Lord. Uh, And here's where we get the first lesson about what it means to believe in Jesus. The first part of believing in Jesus is recognizing who he is, which is exactly what the disciples didn't do in this passage. Hence the question, where's your faith? Grace City, can I urge you, when you are in the midst of a storm, when things look out of control, when you feel vulnerable, remember who is with you. Jesus is with you. And who is he? He's the one with the authority to calm the storm, the one who commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him. And he does it simply by speaking. But more than that, if you go back to the Old Testament, if you go back to those Psalms, you look at those storm passages, what you'll see is that God is the only one with the authority and power to calm a storm. Um, Psalm 107 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And now here in Luke 8, Jesus is the one who makes the storm be still, who hushes the waves of the sea. And he could do it because he is the Lord. Does that mean Jesus will make all your problems go away? No, far from it. Sometimes it will feel like God is asleep, like Jesus, uh, sleeping there. Uh, You'll wonder what on earth he's doing. But remember that God's timing is not always the same as our timing. 
Uh, just think of the disciples. I think they would have much preferred if Jesus had calmed the storm much earlier in the story, uh, long before the boat was filling with water. But if he had done that, they never would have had the opportunity to put their faith in him amidst the storm, and they never would have seen the glory of the one who can calm the fiercest storm. Uh, sometimes it takes a storm to see the glory of the one who can calm it. Uh, this is the first part of what it means to believe in Jesus, recognizing who he is, the Lord. That's only the first part of what it means to believe in Jesus, because in a moment, we're going to meet somebody different. We're going to meet someone who knows exactly who Jesus is and yet doesn't have a biblical faith, which must mean there's more to biblical faith. Uh, so for this, we're going to turn to the second part of the story. Uh, we're going to pick it up from verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Uh, we're told at the start there, that they went to the region where the Gerasenes lived. Uh, we're told that it was across the lake from Galilee. Uh, and that's significant because the Gerasenes, they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. You see that later? They were, having, they were keeping pigs, which was against Jewish law. But as soon as Jesus steps upon the shore, we're told he was met by a demon-possessed man. Uh, we're told later that he wasn't just possessed by one demon, uh, verse 30, uh, the demons are called legion because many demons had gone into him. Uh, the word legion, it's a Roman term to describe like a, a Roman military unit of about five to 6,000 men. Uh, but instead of being invaded by Roman soldiers, this man had been invaded by demonic forces. And the result is that this man, he lived naked uh, and he lived among the tombs. Uh, we're told, verse 29, that he couldn't be restrained. But maybe you're here. Maybe you're sceptical uh, about this whole demon thing. Maybe it just comes across as naive superstition, uh, implication being that the Bible is just full of naive superstition. Um, and if that's you, let me remind you of something we looked at last year back in chapter 4, which incidentally was also Mother's Day. Um, back in chapter 4, Luke puts two stories side by side. Uh, he tells the story of another demon-possessed man and a woman with a fever. And that's significant because almost every other ancient culture believed that fevers were caused by demons. Um, they saw them as being the same thing. But Luke doesn't. He separates them out, uh, which is totally unprecedented in the ancient world. He says, yeah, there are fevers and there are demons, and they're two different things. Can you see the two different mistakes that we could make here? The first is to say that everything is a demon, which is the mistake that uh, perhaps most ancient cultures made. It's naive superstition. But on the flip side, the other, th the other mistake is saying that nothing is a demon, which is perhaps the mistake that we're most likely to make. Uh, but Luke, he says, yes, demons are real, but not everything is a demon. Um, the only other thing to say is that while this particular man in this story, Luke 8, he seems to have a pretty extreme case of demon possession, um, 
Satan can also work in more subtle ways. Um, have a look at what Paul says to Corinthians. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Sometimes demonic forces will look obvious and extreme, as in the case of this man. But sometimes they will look like servants of righteousness. Uh, but the important thing for us is what this demon says to Jesus through the man. Uh, verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, uh, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. Notice the demon knows exactly who Jesus is. He recognizes Jesus. Uh, he says, Son of the Most High God, which is actually the same thing that God calls Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He calls Jesus the Son. And here's the demon. He knows exactly who Jesus is. Uh, but more than just recognizing the identity of Jesus, this demon recognizes the authority of of Jesus. Uh, the demon, he doesn't put up a fight. There's no contest. Uh, but more than that, the demon seems actually pretty terrified of being tortured by Jesus. Uh, down in verse 31, he starts pleading with Jesus, don't send me to the abyss, uh, which seems to be the place where Jesus holds demonic forces captive in judgment. And what's more, this demon knows that in the end, he loses. Jesus wins. Uh, you see it in Matthew's gospel, actually. Uh, Matthew tells us a bit more. Uh, the demon says, Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? He knows there is an appointed time. And so he knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus has authority. And he knows that in the end, Jesus wins. But let me ask you, does this demon believe in Jesus? Maybe it's an odd kind of a question. Um, have a look at what James says in James chapter 2. James says, uh, you, uh, his hearers, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, and James is making the point that even though the demons believe that there is only one God, there's something important missing from the kind of belief that a demon has when compared to a living, authentic, biblical faith, which is what we're after. Uh, I think we see the difference come out in our passage. This demon, he knows the identity, authority, the victory of Jesus, but he would still rather be destroyed than bow the knee to Jesus. He asks, send me into a herd of pigs and I'm going to run off a cliff. He has set himself against Jesus and his kingdom. Compare that to the disciples. They may have forgotten who Jesus is, but at least they knew that Jesus was their only hope. And so they threw themselves upon him in desperation. This demon, he sets himself against Jesus. The disciples turn to him in reliance. Uh, and I think this teaches us a second important lesson about faith. Uh, believing in Jesus doesn't just mean recognizing who he is. It means responding in reliance. Throwing ourselves on him. Uh, just before we move on, let me apply this quickly. Every time we choose to sin and operate out of a lack of faith, 
What we're really doing is choosing the pigs, which will only ever lead to destruction. And so can I urge you, don't choose the pigs. Uh, Adam and Eve, they chose the pigs. Uh, The demon chose the pigs. Don't choose the pigs. Uh, Don't choose sin. It leads to destruction. Turn to Jesus in reliance on him. But there's still one more part to what it means to believe in Jesus. Recognize who he is, respond in reliance, and third, receive his salvation. Uh, For this, we're going to turn to that last part of the story. Um, And here in this last part, we're going to see kind of two different reactions to the miracle of Jesus healing this man. First reaction that we see is rejection. Uh, You see it in the crowds that come out to see what had happened. Uh, From verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. So the herdsmen, they go and get everyone from the town and they all come out to see what's happening with these pigs and this man who had been healed. And the reaction of the crowds is that they ask Jesus to leave. They ask him to get back in his boat, go back to Galilee. Why? Uh, We're told, verse 37, it was because they were overcome with fear. They were afraid, uh, which is where we see the flip side to faith, fear. Uh, I think you can see uh, how this is um, a little bit... This is different to the demon. See, the demon, he consciously set himself against Jesus, but here the crowds, they're left trembling, they're afraid. It's a slightly different response. Their fear gets in the way of their belief in Jesus. It leads to their rejection of him. Their fear got the better of them. Um, sometimes I see this play out with my girls. Um, you know, Sometimes they're standing up high on something, uh, and I'll be standing down below with my arms out, and I'll say, jump, I'll catch you. Uh, and then this little battle starts in their head between fear and faith. Uh, and so part of them, there's a, they're afraid of falling, uh, which means they, they don't want to jump. But another part has faith, and they're ready to jump. Uh, And depending on whichever one is stronger, that's what they do. Uh, For these crowds, their fear gets the better of them. But there's another reaction uh, in response to this healing, uh, and it's the reaction of the man himself. Uh, What we see is the total transformation of this man. He's no longer naked and out of his mind. He's now dressed and in his right mind. Uh, Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's the place of a disciple. Uh, And there's this like external kind of sense of peace about him, which I think reflects the internal peace that this man now has. Um, There was a storm that raged inside him, and now it's been calmed. Uh, So he sits at the feet of Jesus. And what Luke says is that this man has received salvation. Uh, If you look at verse 36, um, it says that uh, the man had been cured. That word cured is literally the word salvation. 
And, yeah, the primary thing going on is that he'd been healed from demons. But I think there's also a deeper kind of salvation being hinted at. Uh, And I say that because um, Jesus, he never uses the normal word for heal when he uh, heals people. He always uses the word for salvation. Other people use the word for heal, but Jesus doesn't. He says salvation. Um, And Luke is saying that this man had received salvation. Uh, And by repeating this word salvation through the whole gospel, you see it time and time again, um, Luke is showing us that Jesus, he didn't just come to heal a whole bunch of random individuals. He came to undo every force of evil and chaos in this world and to bring a calm to the storm of sin. Uh, Ultimately, he does it through his death. Uh, Just think with me about this man who was healed. He was in his right mind, but soon Jesus would experience such anguish that he would sweat drops of blood. This man was now clothed, but Jesus would be stripped naked. This man, he came out of the tombs, but soon Jesus would be laid in one. And Jesus did it to defeat Satan by taking away the only power that Satan has, which is our sin. So what's the third part of what it means to believe in Jesus? It means receiving his salvation just like this man sitting at Jesus' feet. Just as I close, let me ask you, what do you need to hear today? Are you going through a storm? Do you need to remember who Jesus is? Uh, The one with the authority to calm the storm. Um, Do you need to remember that Jesus is with you in the boat? He's not up on some high mountaintop. He's with you in the boat. Or do you need to remember that actually God's timing is not always the same thing as our timing? Could it be that God is allowing a storm to rage so that he can show you his glory? And he calls you, trust me. Or it could be that there is an area of your life where you haven't yet given over to the lordship of Jesus. Perhaps it's an area of sin. Perhaps you'd rather choose the pigs. Uh, Why not make today the day that you throw yourself upon Jesus in reliance upon him? Maybe so far in your life you haven't yet ever turned to him in reliance. Make today the day. Or maybe you're just terrified of stepping out in faith, terrified of jumping into the arms of your father. Can I urge you, receive his salvation. Be received into his arms, uh, whether it be for the first time today or just as another day, living in dependence, reliance upon him. How would you pray with me that these things would be true of us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that he is Lord over every storm. Uh, Give us faith to see his glory and the power of his word. Uh, Forgive us for when we have turned our backs on you and chosen a path of destruction, we pray, forgive us. And Father, we receive your salvation, uh, knowing that it has been bought with the blood of Jesus. Father, we throw ourselves on him, knowing that he is our only hope, and we pray it in his name. Amen.